What a day. What a day. But a more civilized day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an elegant weapon episode 394. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross, Ross Jedi Jay. And as always, it is so wonderful to have all you beautiful babies here with us in the High Walker studio. An exciting night. Actually, it's an exciting evening. It's strange to be podcasting, actually, with the sun out. But uh, over here, that's what we're doing tonight. We're bringing to you episode 394. Kids, exciting things. I was not quite paying attention to dates and times. And this evening, amounts of money will be taken from my bank account to make this officially the 10th anniversary of an elegant weapon. Oh, so we have this celebration going on. And tonight we have some amazing guests joining us to celebrate the 10th anniversary of an elegant weapon. Our old friend, our brother in pod, Mr. Dirk Manning has returned to an elegant weapon. Good evening, oh, sir. Nice. I like the sweetener. Thank you. Good you to like see that? you, brother. Uh, good to see you too. And bringing along, he has brought a friend, wrestling legend, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tony Shivani. Tony, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. This is so cool. And instantly, it already happened. But I see us instantly, right away. I warned you guys about it, and it just it <laughs> happened instantly. Can you believe that? It's the internet gremlins, kids. Uh, forgive yeah. me. I still haven't figured out why this connection happens, but it does. Uh, Tony, thank you so much, as I was saying, for joining uh, me tonight. Uh, the celebration, as I just said, 10 years of an elegant weapon. So, so cool. Dirk, it is apropos to have you here. Uh, for the past six years, you have been a champion of this show, helping us provide a voice for the independent comic book creator, spreading the word of good times in comic book creation. So I can't thank you enough for your support over the last six years, man. It's been absolutely crazy, eh? That's wild. Yeah, I, what, a, what a day. What a day. And thank so, you for having us. Of course. Uh, celebrating 10 years, uh, celebrating your support, uh, celebrating what less than an hour ago, we have officially crossed $100,000 in Kickstarter support. Oh, wow. my goodness. And I'm going to I'm going to translate this for you, as I always do, Dirk, when you're on the show. I'm going to translate this into Canadian for you. Okay. Please, thank you. You. Were, you were looking for a pledge of $25,211 Canadian. You have received $126,215 Canadian. So uh, we always like to do that translation because just, you know, higher numbers sound, sound more fun. Guys, uh, let me get your thoughts, each of you. Dirk, you could start um, because you're a little frazzled by this. Uh, what's it like to have garnered this kind of support for this project? I'm blown away. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I joked with you, Tony, earlier on in the campaign that, oh, my gosh, you know, you've sold uh, uh, pre-sold over $20,000 worth of a comic with your face on it. Now you are in the $100,000 club on on Kickstarter. So pre-selling a comic with your face on it. So that's. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I've, uh, I've a lot of people have contacted me today about that. It's kind of like a magic number that I thought it's not to say anything disparaging about you, Dirk, because I've said enough disparaging about you on our zoom calls that we've had. 
true. Uh, but I, uh, I didn't expect us to get anywhere near this. I remember when I started it or when you guys started this and, and I was talking to my boss, Tony Khan of AEW, he said, well, so how much do you expect to get? I said, 20, 30,000. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> well, no, we right. uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We had that conversation, you know, right. and our funding goal was 20,000. And, and Jay, I, I, not that I would ever try to, to BS anyone in this regard anyway, but I mean, you know, I know how to run a Kickstarter, you know, and I really thought Tony with God as my witness that that last week we'd really be crawl clawing and crawling and scratching and just punching like hell to maybe get to that 70,000. Right. You know, I mean that, that, that's the real, like, like, man, if we really like, you know, bust our ass and maybe if we need an angel or two, I mean, we could, we could maybe unlock the variant cover. I feel a little bit of humility coming my way from you guys though, because, you know, between wrestling fans, comic fans and, you know, Dirk, your cult alone, um, (laughs) you can't, you can't tell me you're crazy shocked and surprised that there's this many people out there who want to hear Tony's stories. Let me answer. (laughs) Let me answer that. I, um, I think the fact that I've never done a book may have helped out a great deal. Right. Uh, I, I never, I know a lot of my uh, colleagues and a lot of my friends have done books and they have done books that are very, very good. JR first one that comes to mind, the young books have one out right now. JR has done a couple of books. Mick Foley's done one. Rick Flair's done. Well, hell who hasn't done one in wrestling? Well, I have it. And uh, I, uh, it, there was a lot of, a lot of talk about when you're going to do a book. And as a matter of fact, is a story that, that you don't even know, Dirk, and I've never told this story. I had uh, a guy that worked for the University of Georgia. His name was Jay Lowe, J-A-Y-L-O-W-E. Okay. Uh, he's not married, wasn't married to Alex Rodriguez, but that Jay Lowe, our, he was a friend of mine and he got a deal for me to write a book. It was a very small time publishing company. And so Jay and I were ready to work on the book and he fell ill and passed away. Oh my God. So I remember thinking, well, if I ever do a book, if I ever get close to the book again, I will, I will think about Jay, but I never did a book and I never really wanted to. Um, so the comic book idea came, came around and I thought I love comics. I, uh, I love superheroes. I love fantasy. I love Star Wars, Star Trek. I, uh, I love DC comics. I love Marvel. I love all the TV shows they put together. And so Mike Dawkins said, uh, Hey, you want to do a comic book about your life? And I went, Mike, by the way, is our lawyer. Uh, who's the richest guy out of this. Uh, he gets more money than all of us put together because that's the way it works with lawyers. (laughs) Um, so anyway, so we made, uh, we made it, he made uh, all the connections. We started working on it and I never thought that it would be this uh, grand. I watched, I saw the, uh, I saw it coming together. I saw the artists, I saw the sto- different stories put in on paper and color ink put to the uh, drawings. And I thought, wow, this is pretty spectacular, but it's been pretty spectacular without us really even promoting it on TV yet. We've, we've got this big vehicle called dynamite, which, which is on TNT, a major cable network, 
and we haven't promoted it on that yet. And we're going to promote it after the Kickstarter is over. So who knows how far we're going to go with this thing. And I, I think this, you know, you talked about independent comics. Uh, AEW was, has always been kind of independent based. We've taken wrestlers from independent wrestling and we've made them stars. Eddie Kingston, Ricky Starks, a couple of our guys, a couple of guys who actually did some uh, work for me on Twitter promoting this book or this graphic novel. So I think AEW and independent comics kind of go together. So I think it's a pretty good marriage. Makes sense. Whose who's brainchild was this originally? Who's, uh, whose mind did it spark into, hey, let's do a book about your, uh, your life, Tony? Well, it was, uh, it was Dawkins, wasn't it? It was Dawkins, yeah. Yeah, he, he, Mike Dawkins, who, uh, you know, is a friend of Tony, as well as a friend of mine, he, he goes by Gimmick Attorney on Twitter. He has a show on ad-free shows. He approached Tony. You know, we got to ask him, Tony, because I don't know if he approached you first or he approached me first. <laughs> yeah, you know? I'm not so sure either. Yeah, you know, I mean, but, but you know, uh, Mike is a, a, a good friend of mine. I actually met Mike through uh, Scoot McMahon, who did the Adventures of Cthulhu Jr. and Dashley Dirk with um, through Source Point as well. And uh, I know at least for my end, he came to me and he said, hey, how would you feel about doing a graphic novel on the life of, uh, of Tony Schiavone? And uh, I was like, okay, um, I'll have that meeting, you know, and I'm not trying to be flippant. And, and, you know, Tony, it's heard me tell the story a few times now, but you know me, Jay, that I tend to focus on really doing creator-owned work. Now, obviously, I've done a book with Twisted, I've done a book with the Harp Twins, and but I do very limited kind of work for hire um, stuff. And, uh, you know, especially with Mike being a lawyer, like Tony said, we know he's going to end up coming out of this you know, making more money than all of us put together. So, <laughs> but um, it, he, yeah, my, my Dawkins approached me about it. We, I think his plan was for us to get together, Tony, at C2E2. And then when that fell through, right. um, he kind of had to go the old fashioned way and like, Hey, would you be willing to do this? And they went to Tony and said, so Hey, this has been in the works for a while then. Yeah. 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 A year. Yeah. Did the, did the pandemic get in the way at all or no. No, no, because we would have zoomed anyway, because he lives in Toledo. Trina lives out west uh, and I live here in the metro Atlanta area. And Dave Silva works with us, lives in Huntsville. So the only way to be able to get together would have been either phone or Zoom. And I guess once the pandemic hit, Zoom became kind of the thing. Right. And so I I think I think I don't think the pandemic slowed us down at all. I don't know if it slowed down uh, the process of the artists. I can't speak to that, but it didn't process, didn't slow down the creative process of us coming up with a script. No, it, it didn't even really slow down the artists per se, aside from any, you know, personal issues or whatever. Cause yeah, we, we did this all through zoom. You know, we just did this. We, we got together on zoom calls every couple of weeks. Uh, like Tony said, the whole team, you know, myself, Tony, Mike, Dave, Junior Joe, and we got together and we would just talk to, you know, we, we created the outline for the book. Uh, and again, credible credit is due, you know, Mike and I talked about that a little bit and, and we kind of broke his life up into 10 chapters. And I really decided that I wanted to do this with 10 different artists, you know, kind of go back to my anthology roots, right, you know, right, Nightmare yeah. World, Buried But Not Dead, and, you know, and find the find different artists to really portray those different stages of his life, but also to keep the production moving along. You know, I mean, the book now at this point is going to be probably almost 150 pages when all said and done between all the stretch goals we've unlocked everything else 
So it's a lot easier to have 10 artists draw 10 pages, you know, than have yeah. one artist draw 100 pages. How, how do you decide what goes into the book? Like, how do you decide which which portions of which stories go in there? Did you guys just sit down together and say, these are the ones I want to tell? Or Tony has a very long running podcast. So he, he tells a lot of stories right. about his life and stuff like that. So and I there's think so many we, to choose from. <laughs> yeah, well, and we we wanted to do this chronologically, you know. And I don't want to speak out of turn and speak for you, Tony, but I mean, to me, this was like Tony's whole life is so fascinating. You know, uh, we, we, he's worked with almost every major wrestling promotion throughout his career, and as you kind of alluded to at the beginning of the show, Jay, Tony's a, a, a humble dude and, and just a, a great guy, and and not a guy that buys into the hype that I think a lot of people that are involved in professional wrestling or, or any entertainment medium medium get into. So the working title for me for this book was like a life among giants. And that was kind of like my, my theme going through this was Tony's life is when did you first get into wrestling? You know, as a fan, your first entrance into professional wrestling as a professional weaving through Crockett promotions, WCW, the infamous night in, in TNA, you know, WWE going to AEW now and, and just telling that whole life story. I mean, that was my take on it, Tony. I don't know if there's anything particular that you wanted to make sure we covered or, or didn't cover. Or No, I, I think the, uh, I think this book, uh, everybody's life has uh, many different stories and many different roads and, and many different uh, avenues to take. I think this is my story of my life in wrestling from when I was a wrestling fan, like Dirk said, all the way into finally being able to do wrestling on a, on a full-time basis and my journey out of wrestling and getting back into it. I have a lot of journeys. I have a lot of things that happened in my life that uh, are not in this book and uh, probably would end up being in a, in a, you know, in a 800 page novel or whatever. But I, I mean, there's stories of me with the kids and playing baseball with the kids and, and going to band and my kids in marching band and that boring type uh, parenting stuff. That's not in the book, but this is about, and it's about my career in wrestling. Now it touches on my career in baseball a little bit, but I've got tons of stories of my years in minor league baseball and in major league baseball when I spent with the Braves and spent with the Braves triple A team. And prior to that with the Baltimore Orioles double A team, tons of probably very entertaining stories, but those are not in the book. It's all about, wrestling and this is you know, to the point to where i started early wanted to be in uh loved wrestling was one of my passions besides baseball and wanted to get into the business got into the business fell disenchanted with the business left it never really wanted to come back met conrad got to start a podcast got to got with cody rhodes and tony khan and now here i am there was always a part of me that knew uh, another story. And I don't think it's in the, in this, uh, I know it's not in the graphic novel, but when, when Twitter first started and I don't know when actually Twitter began, began a thing, became a thing, maybe 2011, maybe yeah, I don't know. It feels Wait, like 2011. I think. Yeah. 2011. When I first started tweeting, I wanted to tweet about baseball. No one wanted to hear me about baseball. <laughs> no one wanted a damn tweet from me about baseball. They wanted to talk about wrestling. And in 2011, I kind of got the idea that, you know, uh, maybe this is me. And it took, you know, quite a number of years before it really became me again. But, um, 
So that's the, this is what this is about. This is about me and wrestling and my journey in wrestling, which is, you know, when you think about someone who was in it for so long and then was out of it for 18 years and came back into it now. And it's, uh, it's a long time to take off. For yeah, it is. Anything. It's, yeah. Well, that, that's, a, that's kind of the way I am. I, when, when I leave something behind, I freaking leave it behind. Right. I do. I, I don't look back. I try to, I try to reinvent myself as an announcer. I didn't try to hang on and do little independent uh, promotions all around the country and make a, you know, $50 here, hundred dollars there. I'm just going to do something else with my life because I knew I had a lot more to offer than just being a wrestling announcer. That's um, cool. So it was a long time to take off and I didn't, I didn't once, not one time with the exception of that, you know, looking at Twitter and realizing people want to talk about wrestling. I didn't one time during those 18 years think, wow, man, wouldn't it be great to be back in wrestling? I didn't think about that. I was just looking straight ahead. Really? That's cool. Yeah. That's focus. You know, it's interesting that's- too, because in the book, you know, even when you say it now that it was 18 years you were away, I think we yeah. cover that in about a chapter and change. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's like crazy to think, yeah, it was almost two decades that you just, you know, stepped away. So right. next, next month, uh, I'm an arborist by trade and mm-hmm. next month will be officially 20 years in that industry. And you know, you almost took the amount of time off as I have building a career, building my career. And it's crazy because I think back of all the time, and I think what I was doing 20 years ago and, right. uh, you know, to take a break and then go back to something like that is it's uh, it must have been exciting at the same time, you know, because you come you're coming back at it with such a, a, a like a wiser kind of open minded perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And the people I work with were. uh were different instead of guys being my age, they're younger than me. And, uh, they, they look up to what we did in the past. They remember the, the, the WCW days. And that one year I was in the WWE. They remember that fondly. Uh, they hold me in high esteem because of it. I don't know why I'm just an announcer, but they do. And it, I came back. It was like a breath of fresh air. I was reinvigorated by the, by the business again, reinvigorated by these kids really wanting really having the passion for the business that I had when I started. And so that helped me along and has helped me a great deal in, into where I am today. I'm interested. Uh, let me, I just got to shout out one quick comment here from uh, Uber fan uh, and number one uh, weapon here, Jay Webb. You're familiar with Jay Webb, of course, Dirk. Uh, good evening, all. This is a real world collide moment for me. Tony, you are a legend. Congrats all involved with the success of the campaign. Uh, I know Jay's getting a thrill out of this conversation, so I just wanted to shout him out. Um, as far as uh, the commentating, uh, this is what I'm really personally curious about because I, I identify uh, a bit with the, you know, the early part of your career as far as just being a fan. Because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of comics. I always have been. Um, I got into other things. You know, I write and draw a little, but I never made it like my focus. But I was always a huge fan. And then I reached a point in my life where I was kind of, you know, reinvigorated and impassioned by it and wanted a way in. And knew I couldn't make comics, but knew I had a voice. 
and knew I could do something with that. So as a fan, I just started going to Comic-Cons and meeting creators and just kind of, you know, schmoozing and interviewing and chatting and, and, and kind of getting into being part of the community. Um, it seems like that was kind of how you started out with wrestling. You were just a huge fan and, you know, kind of found your own way into being involved in the industry. Yeah, I was I, a couple of fortunate things happened. Uh, the most fortunate thing that happened was that, uh, first of all, I decided to leave Craigsville, Virginia, uh, which is a very, very small town. You can look it up on Wikipedia. Still 900 people live there. Wow. 900 plus. Very small. So when people say I'm from a small town, I go, ah, you have no idea. <laughs> so that was one thing that I'd said, I'm leaving this place and I'm leaving everything that I knew and my family and graduated from college, gone out the door and I got a baseball job. But the real key part and the real important part of my development was getting a job in Charlotte because that was a baseball team that was owned by Jim Crockett promotions. So there was a tie into wrestling and I had been a wrestling fan. Now there's where the good circumstances stop because now it was up to me to push my way into wrestling and, and Jay, uh, and, and Dirk, I really believe there are, there's so many types of people, but I know about two types of people. There are people that want to do it and people that do it. And everybody has a passion that they want. And some people just don't act on it. You got to put yourself in a position to act on it. And just like you say, going around comic cons, you acted on it. You did something. Uh, for instance, uh, I, when we do, we used to go out and do these live shows, Conrad and I, in these, uh, in these comedy clubs. And we would have a, we'd get up and do our little routines and we do a lot of funny stuff, a lot of vulgar stuff. And, uh, then we'd start with questions and then stop into the show with questions and answers. Someone would say, how do I get into professional wrestling? I'd say, well, you have to stop asking and just go do it. In other words, go to an independent show, go to an AEW show, make the move physically to get involved in it. And that's what I did. I was very fortunate. I was working for the Crockett for Crockett promotions that time, but you have to stop dreaming about doing it and just damn go well and do it. Now, when I started in 1983, the business was not as competitive as it is now. Television is not as competitive as it is now. Um, so, uh, I, I started a very good time. And so I was, I was lucky in that way as well, but uh, becoming a wrestling announcer was, uh, uh, just a few moments of being in the right place at the right time and damn wanting it and like wanting that. to do it and knowing I could do it, seeing it and, and taking um, it. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. It's amazing. I have such a huge respect for wrestling commentators. I always have since I was, you know, uh, you know, the young wrestling fan that all the kids in the eighties were, um, and the thing about, like, I, I'm a big fan of anybody who uses their voice in any way, voiceover, cartoon work, announcing MCs, Dirk, you know me, I'm all about all those things. Mm -hmm. And the, the difference in having to be a wrestling commentator, which will actually lead into another question I have about kayfabe, is uh, that they're actually part of the event. When you're just watching baseball announcers or any other sport, they're just play by play. They're telling you what's happening. Sure, they're adding a little excitement to the game with, you know, right. the way that they're telling it, but in wrestling, you're part of the deal, you know, yeah. especially televised wise, you have a role to play in how the match is 
perceived and and plays out right mm-hmm. is that right. a is that a really difficult skill to pick up when you move from just regular sports broadcasting into wrestling you know well it, it, it could be it could be in a way but here's what here's what i always wanted to do and this is how it's another story that i've really never told when i was in college and i wanted to be a baseball announcer I sent out uh, my cassette tapes. There's old school stuff for you. I sent out my cassette, cassette tapes to many different minor league baseball teams and trying to get. And I got hired by a team in Greensboro, North Carolina. And the reason they hired me was because, as the guy told me, my excitement and my passion for the game of baseball. You could hear it in my voice. So that's kind of what has kind of been my calling card with, with wrestling, my excitement and my passion for it which is genuine. It was genuine for baseball because I loved it. It's genuine for wrestling because I love it. And when I think my best work, that's if you can say that I've done great work in the past, I think my best work is done. And the matches I like the best are when I cease to become a wrestling announcer and become a fan and start watching the match with you as a fan would sitting on the couch beside of you and uh, reacting to some of the things that you see. So it was never difficult for me because of my love for it. And, uh, makes sense. As a matter of fact, uh, wrestling probably came easier for me than most because I've, I felt part of, you know, you said you're part of what's going on. I felt part of it. And I, and I took that seriously. I I took seriously back in the eighties that I was part of the show and it was my responsibility to make these guys and girls seem bigger than life, seem super like superstars. I used to laugh with Ric Flair all the time that, that, uh, of some of the commentary I I would do. And I used to, I said, you know, uh, you may think I'm a wrestling announcer, but I'm, I'm actually this drunk. That's I'm actually this guy that's making these drunks sound like a bunch of great athletes. (laughs) Uh, and I, and I, and we laugh about that. And, and that, you know, that's not really true because they are great athletes, but just knowing them behind the scenes and knowing how they are and then presenting this bigger than life persona in front of the camera was a very, very serious job that I took seriously. Yeah, there's actually a chapter in the book that that we talk about. And I don't want to give away the fine details when people read it, but it was one of my favorite chapters hearing you talk about, Tony, when we were on our calls, when Tony is sitting in front of Jim Crockett and stuff and says, okay, we're going to show you something now that needs to stay here. And it's when Tony transitioned to being an announcer and getting to go backstage at the wrestling event and seeing these guys who are mortal enemies on television, mortal enemies at live events, you know, having beer together, hanging out and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you just made the perfect segue, Dirk, for what I wanted to ask. In the 18-year gap, now near the end of kind of the Monday Night Wars and stuff, things were starting to change. You know, the WWE goes into this attitude era mm-hmm. where things are starting to adjust away from just your straight-up colorful good guy, bad guy, 80s superstars kind of thing. Um, and then kayfabe goes through this big crazy change kind of in that time you're right. away where kayfabe isn't at all times as it once was now it's kind of just designated for ring time or show time and you know the 
the whole industry has become so much more open as far as, you know, backstage what's happening. And, you know, there's people seem to have embraced it that, you know, they understand the entertainment part of it and have learned to just embrace that it is. Was it strange for you to come back at a time when things had, you know, adjusted in a certain way where, you know, wrestlers outside of the ring could kind of be themselves and weren't necessarily always having to play the heel if they were a heel in the grocery store? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It, uh, there are some times that I'm doing what I'm doing right now thinking that, man, uh, <laughs> am I laid in on too thick? Uh, because everybody like knows, but there's, there was also back then Jay. Um, and I think it's still alive today, much, much, much smaller. First of all, wrestling has changed. Kayfabe has changed, but society has changed, right? I mean, we're not the same society we were in the eighties. Mm-hmm. My God, are we ever? Uh, so, but I really think that, uh, it, it changed over time because it was inevitable that it was going to change, but there's always still been, what I was going to say is smaller now than bigger back then. You would go to a wrestling match when I was a fan in the 1970s, I go to a wrestling match and, I, and me and my friends would sit there and we would go, oh, that's bullshit. That's fake. That's bullshit. That's fake. But those guys, those guys are real and they are really beating the shit out of each other. And that was the hook that would draw you into wrestling. Magnum TA and I talked about that all the time. I think we still have that. I think we have it to a smaller degree. You can watch some matches and like, for instance, Britt Baker and uh, Thunder Rosa the other night on the lights out match, you looked at that and you went, Holy shit. These girls are beating the hell out of each other. John Moxley and Kenny Omega on our last pay-per-view before the ring failed to explode they were beating the hell out of each other. And as much as you see, as much as you can say it's choreographed or, or whatever, the physicality is real. And so my reaction to that is, is pretty much authentic because I, I, it's a lot of the guys don't pull shots, pull punches, you know, now because kayfabe is, is pretty much dead. The art of pulling punches is not what it used to be. They lay them in now a lot more. Um, I've seen it happen. Yeah. And you can't fake gravity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's that's why we have a, a, we have a medical staff on duty. Yeah. Do you think there is, do you think there is a general uh, better understanding and respect for what goes into wrestling for what these guys put themselves through? Like in the general populace, it seems like a lot more people are aware and respectful of, of the art of wrestling. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, we have a, a fan base that's been with us, you know, you, you can't discount what wrestling was in the nineties, the Monday night wars uh, and so nitro fun. and raw going at each other, yeah, USA so network and, and TNT and the, uh, the young people who got in Abern with it now have jobs in, for instance, ESPN covers wrestling and on its website, sports illustrated does on its website that that never happened. Of course, there were never websites back then, but they, it is more, wrestling is more mainstream now than it's ever been. Right. Uh, Cody Rhodes getting ready to have a, um, a reality show. Shaquille O'Neal got involved in our matches. Uh, and uh, who knows what else is going to be down the road for us. So uh, it's more mainstream and it's more appreciated and more respected now than it's ever been. 
It's amazing. Um, Dirk, I'm going to let you go off because I know you, you want to go off. You want to talk about these artists. You want to talk about who's involved. You want to talk about rewards. I can, I can feel, I can feel it ready to just flow out of you. Um, but one thing you got to do sometime is, uh, uh, I live here in Hamilton, Ontario, just kind of in between Niagara Falls and Toronto. Uh, And uh, Niagara Falls Comic Con, I want to give him a little shout out. Maybe that's something I'm hoping returns soon enough. It's the one show I go to that is very wrestler heavy. Dirk, you would love it. Niagara Falls Comic Con is a very wrestler heavy show. It's the one Comic Con I've been to where I'd say 80 to 90% of the guests are wrestlers. Hmm. You taking notes, Tony? (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, know, I... uh, I've been to I've been to Hamilton and I've been to Toronto, obviously, but I've spent a lot of time in Buffalo. Right on. And Buffalo yeah. is one of the great wrestling cities in the United States. This whole area, it's huge yeah. here. Yeah, there's right. lots of little indie circuits that are still going around. My right. friend Anthony Rutgazer, uh, Dirk, you're familiar with my buddy Anthony mm-hmm. and the Union of Independent Wrestlers, and right. Yeah, lots of fun stuff going on around here. So I just hope cons can come back one day and you guys can do exciting things like that. I know you've always, you know, you've always been a comic, uh, a fan, Tony, but uh, have you ever been like a con attendee or ever checked one out? Yeah. yeah? I've been to uh, C2E2 twice. Nice. And uh, and I told when we were looking about where to do shows, Conrad and I did a show at C2E2 in 2018. And then we were there in 2019, which I guess was the last one uh, that they've had. Because of the pandemic, I, I told Conrad after that, I said, listen, buddy, you need to book me in every Comic Con that we can find because I don't care if I'm, uh, and I, I've been very fortunate to know Gabe and he's be able to put me a table and we'd be able to sign autographs and make a little money. That ain't what it's about for me. What it's about for me is walking around and buying stuff. So I, I want to go back to every Comic Con I can. And if there's one in Niagara Falls, and we can, and it's not on a, a time where we're doing a nitro, uh, nitro, huh? Are we doing dynamite? Uh, nitro, uh, yeah. it's going to live in my brain forever. Flashback it. Yeah. So it's Full not things that are combustible, right? Yes. <laughs> Dirk, you're finally going to come to Canada and have no choice in the matter. Well, yeah. you know, and, and again, you know, last year was supposed to be the year i finally it was to canada it was supposed to be this was supposed yeah, to be a then, huge you know, year uh, for source point this was supposed to be the year that i was supposed to take source point finally across canada i mean right. we've, we've been in fan expo uh toronto for years uh you know we just did our first vancouver fan expo sold out everything on the table mm-hmm. had a huge success it was last april we we're about to head to calgary um and crush calgary and then boom this whole thing came down and, well, uh, it, you know, the, we had to hold it off a little bit, but I'm, it's still going to happen. We're still going to spread the source point northward across the country, you know? Right. So, and speaking of cons, here's something that we've never talked about publicly. The original plan was to have this book, the Kickstarter launch at what would have been C2E2 last, last weekend, this weekend. That was our original right. plan. Right. Was to have the big book release, like uh, you know, uh, Tony yeah, and, yeah. and Gabe Yoakum at C two E two, you know, and obviously there's a read pop AEW connection, and Source Point is always very well represented at read pop. So original very plan well. and all of this was to do a giant release party, maybe tied into an event or something like that. C two E two, Tony could walk around right? again with his Alla the twisted event, giant yeah. yeah. Giant yeah. arms full of stuff again, and they have a big party this year, which 
got sidelined. You know, now CGB is not till December, you know, yeah. but um, things will return and the border will open and I'll be able yes. to embrace you again. But for now, this comic book itself, as you said yes. earlier, uh, 10 artists involved. I need you to start with one in particular because I'm being uh, Canadian bias here. But uh, the recent addition due to, I believe, a stretch goal uh, accomplishment, Mr. Sean Daly has been added to the list. Talk mm -hmm. about that, Dirk. He is actually not even one of the primary 10. So he or the big 10, however you want to call it. Yeah. And, and Tony, you haven't seen this yet. I haven't got a chance to send it to you, but um, Sean has sent me the layout. Uh, one of uh, Canada's finest exports or finest residents. The darling Sean, of Canadian indie comics. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Sean is doing an uh, insert art. that's going to be exclusive to the hardcover. So just for people. Oh, really? See this, oh, wow. Like when you get a trade paperback, okay. You really can't do any, you know, you just have the credits and, and boom, and you go. But when you do a hardcover, what you end up having, oh, so you got my Kickstarter swag in here, I, I buy my own stuff too, <laughs> is you'll have like this insert art. Like Josh Warner did this for Buried But Not Dead. You probably can't see, but it's like a hand coming out of like the mist out of the dirt. So, you know. It looks it, like an amoeba from here. Well, that, that, that's that's actually pretty apropos. Okay. So. <laughs> X-ray of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. But then you actually then then you have what you normally have in trade paperback. But you know, you have this blank canvas here to do something with. So on the Kickstarter exclusive hardcover, Sean Daly is doing a, a double page spread. And I actually got the layout the other day, Tony, and I haven't a chance to send it to you yet. Uh, I will tell you that Bug is in it, so you can rejoice that uh, Bug is gonna continue to make his presence known throughout the book. Yep. He's working hard back there. I see him. So yeah, you see him right here. Bug. Mm -hmm. Wake up. <laughs> the star of the book. Yeah. But yeah, so Sean, uh, we unlocked is I think our 15th stretch goal is going to do insert art that's going to be exclusive to the hardcover, double page spread. And uh, I've been kind of working with him on ideas of what to do there to play to Sean's strengths. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, we actually have all in um, 24 five artists what? i believe in the book because we have our big 10 i'll get to them in a second we have uh four bonus stories by four other artists we have our cover artist mariana pescosta we are and then uh, scott james did the variant cover he he's one of the big 10 in the in the actual book itself then we have 10 pinups by 10 more artists jesus yeah well and, and again Same, you, you know man. i'm on a kickstarter you know, I mean, oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I oh, like yeah. to, I like to blow it up. I'm, I'm the bane of. Um, Who's the original ten? Who's the original ten? The big ten is John Marroquin. Yeah. Okay. Well, the big ten we got. Uh, well, I'll say big eleven. The man Pascosta is doing the cover. Ringo Award nominated. She's amazing. But the big ten interiors, we got DJ Kaufman, uh, longtime hero of mine. He does the first chapter in the book. He does the book Secret Forces and some other stuff. He's a guy that, if I have my way, we'll see more and more stuff from him with Source Point. Great guy. I'm so excited to have a minute. Uh, Sally Scott has done stuff for Nightmare World. She did a story in Buried But Not Dead. Uh, she's fantastic. John Marroquin, who did Mariachi with me. Uh, again, longtime friend, very good guy. Love that. Uh, Les Garner, who did Apocalypse Girl for Source Point Press, was one of their big breakout books. Uh, he's doing a chapter. Jan Apple, who did the amazing cover to Buried But Not Dead, she did a story in that as well. Uh, Jan is fantastic. She's in the book. Colm Griffin, uh, this was one that Travis McIntyre recommended. He's famous for Ocean City as well as other books. So again, we're making it a multinational affair. We have Mariana from Italy. We have Colm from Ireland. 
Um, Scott James, he also did the uh, the variant cover of the book. Uh, he did Juice Man. He's on Backups and Savage Dragon. I've known Scott for a long time. Really good dude. When we did the Ashcan variant, uh, Scott did a new uh, new image for the cover here. So he did that. So super excited about getting to finally work with, with Scott. Josh Ross from Nightmare World, Tales of Mystery, longtime friend. Austin McKinley. Uh, has done mystery stuff, the memorable stuff. He's doing Tales of Mystery Volume 5. And then um, our last of the Big Ten illustrators is someone brand new to comics. Uh, this will be his first ever comic work. Uh, Ricardo Rosana was, uh, again, from Italy, recommended to me by Mariana Pascosta. Uh, I think I'm talking out of school here, but uh, Leno Grady was going to do a, a larger story in the book, broke his arm, um, makes it difficult to, to draw. <laughs> you know. So uh, Mariana recommended uh ricardo to me and he's fantastic just so good and this will be his first comic work and i like that too i like bringing in someone brand new uh sean burris is doing some colors on several of the stories um of course justin birch longtime source point letterer is doing letters we have Drina joe editing i mentioned mary pescosta doing the cover scott james doing the variant cover it's kickstarter exclusive and then like i said we got 10 other artists who are uh I've not revealed yet doing 10 different chapter break pinups, mm -hmm. Sean Daly insert art for the hardcover. It's amazing, man. Yeah. So yeah. I, I have a question about all this. Uh, yes, sir. We know what Dawkins taking everything off the top. Mm -hmm. You're the writer. Dreen, Dreen is the editor with all these artists. Am I going to make any money on this book at all? Yeah. Talk to your lawyer, Tony. <laughs> You're talking like like I, like I was saying earlier. I'm the bane of SourcePoint's existence because they know, you know, like the young bucks have the super kick party. I have mm -hmm. the stretch goal party, mm -hmm. so I just like to push it out, push it out, push it out, and they're always trying to like rein me in. And I'm like, bring in more art, bring in like it costs more money. I'm like, Tony doesn't care. He's in it for the love of the game. <laughs> Tony doesn't care. Tony, well, he's, no, he's listen. fine. You're, you're right. You're right. Because I'm just having a great time doing this. I've, I've had a great time with all of our guys on zoom together and just, you know, talking about my story and just for me to see it, uh, in, you know, in comic book form is going to be a big deal for me. Uh, and, uh, so happy so for only you make guys. a buck, only make a buck. It was, it was been a lot of fun. And yeah, that, that 1% man, is going to come in, uh, come yeah. in strong on that 1%. Yeah, but so, again, now that we broke, now that we broke a hundred thousand, yeah. you know that on that one percent, you're at least getting a thousand dollars. Hot damn! <laughs> so, you know we got to look at the positives, Tony. Yeah, you know, that's I'm looking at that. That's thousand dollars I didn't have. You see, that, that, and a book, and a book, and a book, a book. Like, you guys and, still got you still got seventeen days left. Like right, yeah. Oh, like you've got a sure ridiculous do. amount of time to continue to increase that total. So you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting here watching it. Uh, can, I'm, I'm seeing it go up. So, you know, yeah. and you're about to go on a week run of podcasts. Good, good Lord. This is going to be, you know, an yeah. I, uh, if people I'm can so go to bucksandseatscomic.com, bucksandseatscomic.com. And you know, over the years I've watched wrestling and the comic community become closer and closer knit, you know, I mean, lots of projects have come out in the past. I mean, headlocked. Headlocked is uh, Michael Kingston. That's been huge for you know the the you know. I never heard of that one. Uh, just an indie, you know, uh, just another indie comic. Uh, just a big wrestling fan, and uh, you get some wrestlers together, and they make some stuff, and you know, uh, 
there's 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 other stuff i know but well, also a lot of you in your circle are huge wrestling fans not just you but a bunch of the creators you run with right dirk oh yeah absolutely you know yeah uh, I'm mainly known as a horror guy, you know, doing horror comics mainly, and which I guess explains the company I keep with Tony and, and Dawkins and everything else, you know, yeah. hanging out with a wrestling announcer and a lawyer. So that right. And and then Drina Joe, you know, the the the, the five feet of fury there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've always been a huge wrestling fan. And and it's funny because so many people I know have reached out to me and said, Oh my gosh, Dirk, you know, you're you've been an unabashed wrestling fan. And even at a time when sometimes people, I think, look down on wrestling fans a little bit, like, oh, you you know it's fake, right? Like I said earlier, it's like, you can't fake gravity. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, as a, as a guy that, you know, martial arts, was martial arts instructor for years and, and trained for years. Let me tell you that going out and, like, sparring for, like, 90 seconds, you think you're going to die. And these guys go out there for 30, 35 minutes and are jumping off stuff and, and, and flipping and, and hitting right. and strike, you know. So no, it, it, it don't, don't, don't come to me about that stuff, you know, but now, like you said, I think people are accepting wrestling a lot more, but yeah, a, a lot, a lot of these artists were um, fans of wrestling already. Some were not, but that's also what made it fun to bring this crew together. You know, I, I was very fortunate. I got to handpick every artist involved in this book and, and some of them I knew weren't, were maybe like, lapsed wrestling fans some of them didn't know much about wrestling at all but that that was part of part of the fun of this you know uh you, you know, know some of them like oh my god i get to draw rick flair are you kidding me or they're having right. like requests do i get to draw right you know uh hogan like you know scott james doing his chapter on wcw i knew he'd be perfect to draw sting and hogan you know because he has that exaggerated style and i knew for that chapter he'd be the perfect guy for it so it's fun to get to bring my love of wrestling to the forefront uh, on a book like this, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's cool because even getting, you know, uh, I was, I was young in the eighties and, uh, you know, at the time wasn't super familiar with WCW because as a, as a little kid, you know, you were in Hulkamania phase. Right. Right. Um, but I do remember, of course, it got to the years of the Monday night wars and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't watch a lot of WCW, but getting to go back in preparation a bit for this podcast, uh, you realize that even in just the last 20 years, how much history has occurred and happened in the industry. And it was really interesting to go back and see a lot of the things that went into the things that I don't remember. Right. Like butts right. And seats itself. Right. Like the whole right. the whole event. Like I, I had no idea how in-depth things were. I remember the war and the fight, but even that at the time seemed kayfabe yet you look back on it now as an adult and you're like, no, there was a lot more going on at that time. That was a literal, you know, network versus network war going on. Like, you know, people pulling some real life stuff, trying to get at the others. And and it was really, really cool to go back over that and kind of look at wrestling from a fresh perspective as, as, you know, different from when I was a little kid, just watching it for fun, you know? Right. Well, there was a time when the war, the war uh, was basically when you would tune in to see, exactly who showed up on our show from their show and who showed up on their show from our show. And there was, there was a time when Rick rude, uh, rest in peace, ravishing Rick rude was on raw and had been taped. And we had nitro live that night. He was on raw that night and was on nitro that night live. Oh my God. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the height of the war. I mean, that's what you call rating talent right there. 
right right okay i gotta i gotta i gotta just do this uh dirk here one more thing from jay webb because he's asking so nicely uh jay webb is actually over in uh in england over there in the uk uh please jay if you don't mind knowing tony's passion and love for wrestling i may not get an opportunity like this again but i would love to know tony's favorite match he ever called i know that's a real bullshit question <laughs> but i but i want to know <laughs> no it, it's not a bullshit question i i've said this before um, my favorite match that i've ever called was my first match at madison square garden I had worked for Jim Crockett Promotions in the 80s. 89, I went to work for the WWE. Back then, it was the WWF, of course. And I worked with Lord Alfred Hayes as my color commentator. I was doing play-by-play that day for the entire Madison Square Garden card. It was an afternoon card on the MSN network. And it was Hulk Hogan, Big Boss Man in a Cage. And to me, that is the, my favorite match of all time that I have called only because... It was my first time in Madison Square Garden. I heard so much about it, and it was a sellout, and I never witnessed anything quite like that. The intensity of the fans, the just the noise uh, and the love of Hogan and the hatred of Boss Man, and that's still today my favorite match, and that's because it, uh, going from a mom-and-pop organization like Jim Crockett Promotions to a big-time company like the WWE and doing Madison Square Garden. And then we flew into a, we got into a commuter plane and flew that night to the Boston Garden and did a show for New England Sports Network at the old Boston Garden. Wow. You, you can't beat that. As a wrestling announcer, you can't beat that day. <sighs> Just cannot that's beat a- that day. And that still stands out to me, my favorite day and my favorite match. Amazing. That's a great memory. Thank you for sharing all your stories with us tonight, Tony. It's been a, a, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, and I want to, I want to bounce back, Jay, real quick. Yeah, something yeah, you talked about back. a moment ago too, about um, you know the 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 looking at this through the the lens of time, if you will. And that's something that the book actually talks about a lot as well. And and, and I want to stress this very respectfully, but we talk a lot in the book about you know, Tony being this, this everyman character through these organizations battling. And and I give Tony a lot of credit, you know, for the fact that he was at times very vulnerable in this book about his position in this and his disposition in this, I dare say like your mental state Mm. going on. And and I think one of the things that I think people are going to find especially fascinating in reading this book, uh, reading this graphic novel is the fact that getting to see the larger than life characters and, you know, the flares, the Hogan's and stuff like that. But then also at the same time, because of Tony's role as an announcer being that forward facing character, if you will, in that, but then when the lights go out, what's happening backstage mm-hmm. and the politics, and then the big picture, the, the, the Monday night war and things like that. And, and one of the things that I, I think that fans of, of hardcore fans of wrestling but also people who are just passively aware of wrestling, they're going to see a very respectful peek behind the curtain in this whole book too. Right. You know, we, we show matches to an extent, but that's almost secondary to the bigger story of the wrestling industry as a whole, you know, right. and, and Tony's decades in it. And, and uh, I think people are going to be really interested in not learning about Tony's story, but also learning about that every man perspective about, Here's what was going on. 
Now yeah. you know about the Monday Night War, like you said, was it cave Was it was it real? People love to hear the realness of things. That's why right. a lot of these shows are so successful. Tony, your podcast, you know, Stone Cold's right. podcast, you know, right. all these people are just people love to hear these stories from the real perspective. Sure. Uh, Undertaker recently, I was listening. Uh, I think was it Stone Cold? Uh, I can't. Yeah, remember. Undertaker was on Stone Cold's podcast. Yeah, and he just like when he's listed his injuries and when he's you know his his fake this and his half his body's made of plastic and right. everything's broken and it's just amazing like, and to hear the stories behind each and every injury and you know how they came up and how they treated were treated when they're it's just it's fascinating stuff and yeah. i can't wait to read the book i think it's going to be absolutely fantastic i'm very very excited to uh yeah, thank you ma'am you know, to be able for it, that's a great thing about comics and why I love them is you can take any kind of story, you know, anybody's story and you can express it through such an amazing medium, especially right. with these artists and Dirk, I'm sure, you know, your words are just going to come uh, pouring forth and uh, having Drina there, of course, Miss Drina, having you there to wrangle this all together, I'm sure will be the uh, final ingredient in the elixir that was absolutely necessary. Of course, Dirk, you had an editor. Is there any question? Was Adrena right away? Like when you knew you were going to do this? Were you, no, were you she, right? no, it was a no brainer. You know, yeah, right. uh, her, her, her talent is not only unsurpassed, obviously, but having her perspective in the room with a bunch of those meatheads talking and stuff <laughs> like that, you know, and Tony, you can, you can testify to this or or not, but I mean, she was the 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 one that I, I think kept the train on the tracks a lot of times and gave yeah. us some very strong and necessary perspective on some of the the stories that we told and the way we told them. Right, right. Yeah, I have a lot of time for Trina. Uh, probably more time for Trina than I have for you, Dirk. Uh, <laughs> that's that, that's that's that, that's fair. Yeah, right. <laughs> and obviously more time than uh, that I have for Dawkins or Dave Silva, who's on our group as well. So. That's true. Okay, Dirk, I'm going to give you one more thing to celebrate, sir. You tonight officially retake the crown as the most frequent guest ever in the history of an elegant weapon. Wow. Anthony Rutgazer, of of course, still very closely behind. I've been waiting, Jay. Going to be a race for years, but you officially have the title. Um, I'm I'm starting to get a little more into AEW uh, for several reasons. I love the way that AEW just came in and, and did their own thing in a very source point sort of way. Sure. I was like, you know what? This is the way we want to do it. So we're right. just going to do it that way. Right. Which was very, very cool. The stunt they pulled at New York Comic Con last year. Uh, who was it, Dirk? Was it Cody and Jericho? Jericho was like on the, uh, on. they were actually doing a panel. And it was, yeah, I yeah, think it was Jericho, Jericho did a run in. And then, no, Cody. and then I think Cody came in with his entourage. Or something, yeah, one of them ran like in on the question. other one. I was actually working, Jay, and, so I couldn't be there. Oh, it was but, so great. I was like, oh, oh bring I it saw back. Bring it so... back out into the real world in a way. Like, taking it back right. out of the ring was just, it was so awesome to see. And, I loved it. And as a fan, you know, and you know how I am at shows, Jay, at cons. Yeah. If I'm not filling or emptying my water bottle or at a panel, I am at my table. Right. And being an AEW fan and knowing AEW is some of these shows and stuff, there's always a temptation like, oh, do I take an hour? <laughs> yeah. Do I take an hour and go? Yeah. And I always think about it and I always say, this is going to be the time I'm going to do it. But inevitably, when you, even when I leave my table just to go to the bathroom real quick, I'll get a message about, oh, I came by your table and you weren't there. And, you know, and when people mm-hmm. go to a show to see you, you're working. You know, I'm there yeah, to sure. work. I'm at a show to work. So I, I, I didn't go 
to the AW panels and stuff like that. And then inevitably, like you said, this, this you should cool start stuff to Dirk. You've earned it at this point, man. Like <laughs> no, no, I'll no. watch your table. I've become like a mini cult within your cult. You know, you've been such a fan of this podcast and everybody that all your fans are kind of so familiar with it in a certain way. I'll just stand there and be like, Hey, I'm Jay, that guy he talks to, he wanted to go see. No, some I, and I, I, I appreciate okay. it. I mean, you know, you know, how I am, I'm a grinder and I'm there to work. And, uh, you know what? We're not grinders after tonight because, you know, through the Comic-Con, we think we go through a grind every weekend here and there <laughs> once or twice a month. But now we're listening to the wrestling grind. These guys are on the road 24-7, it seems like, you know, just that is mad respect. And to do the physical things. And I'm an arborist. I've been climbing trees every day for 20 years. And these guys amaze me with what they put their bodies through, you know. So yeah. uh, I only have one gripe, one gripe with all elite wrestling. Mm. And that was when they had to come around and call themselves All Elite Wrestling. The Twitter oh. trouble that I went through. Tony, my Twitter handle is AEW Podcast, mm. an elegant weapon podcast. Mm -hmm. And the amount of wrestling fans that I got tweeting at me in the beginning being like, what the hell is this, dude? This got yeah. nothing to do with that. Anything. I was like, right. I'm sorry. It was the only <laughs> it, was, yeah. it just happened to come around. But it's it's kind of cool. It's, it, this is so this is like a coming together of that for me, because every once in a while I get a wrestling fan thinking I'm something that I'm not so. Well, now, a new fan in to have a new perspective you know what i mean yeah. so now yeah you gotta now pin this you gotta pin this episode like a pinned tweet or whatever right right know? yeah yeah you know and then people yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. gonna confuse the masses <laughs> well we always said in in the efforts to try to name the company we always said can't trust a damn arborist <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> On the radar, right? Uh, like, oh, Jay, this quarantine may have saved your life. Come to think about it, because you know they could have sent a couple. They could have sent Eddie Kingston and John Moxley up there, or something, and like, hey, hey Jericho, let's, let's talk about this Twitter handle that you're about to give us. You know, <laughs> Jericho could easily have snuck himself north of the border somehow. I'm sure he's got his his homegrown connections there. So right. you know, um, very cool guys. Thank you so much. Congratulations Thanks, on Thank all you. the success. This Thank was you. amazing fun. Uh, I can't even tell you. This is what I love to do. This is my passion is talking and potting and having guests like you guys. Uh, just makes it all worthwhile. So everybody out there, I hope you all enjoyed uh, this awesomeness. Get on to Kickstarter. As I said, there's like 17 or 19 or something days left to get on there and get your hands on a copy of Butts in Seats. Uh, by Dirk Manning and a whole bunch of other people telling the biographical graphic novel story of Mr. Tony Schiavone. Thank you guys so much. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, you it was great talking to you. Right yeah, awesome. All right, we'll kids. Butts, butts and seats comic.com. There it is. And Jake and Jake, congratulations on all your time, brother. I mean, thank happy you so anniversary, much, my friend. Thanks for yes, uh, everybody. Thank you uh, for sticking around. Yeah, this makes it uh, so cool to tip off with. All right, kids. Uh, that is all we're going to have this week. On an elegant weapon, take it easy. Oh, Tony, we have to dance out. Sorry. You can yeah. dance out. A lot of people okay. dance out. It's more of a little head bob that they like to give. Something. And this is what I remind hey! everybody. That this is the slackers out of New York City. Go to Bandcamp or Spotify and check out the Boss Harmony Sessions. You'll find this, this song, Ska Bohem. Uh, New York City, original Jamaican and rock and roll for your friends, kids. That's the Slackers. Dirk, Tony, thank you so much, kids. Uh, we'll see you next week. Next week, we got an exciting lineup, by the way. For Easter, we have a very special guest, uh, the artist behind Second Coming, Mr. Richard Pace. He's oh. going to come join us 
support Easter. Uh, we also have Richard Davis coming on from Source Point Press. That's going to be happening next well next week. We got uh, Peter Bro coming on. Crazy cool lineup, kids, and soon enough, uh, episode 400. So there you go, kids. Everybody, we love you. Take it easy.